Welcome, welcome, welcome to Welcome You to yet another episode of the Unpopular Podcast. It's your boy Jalen. And today I got a special episode, man. I have a young lady coming. Her name is, or I interviewed a young lady. Her name is Takira Carter. Uh, she's a former athlete like myself. And I just wanted to have a conversation. One thing that isn't really talked about is life after, especially if you don't go on to play, a prof- like play professional sports. What happens? You know what I mean? I wanted to talk to her about you know how she dealt with some of the stuff. I wanted to talk about what she's doing now. And I just wanted to hear her side of the perspective, uh, her her perspective on WNBA, on Kobe. You know, so stay tuned for that. That was a really good conversation. But before we go to that, or before we move on, let's start with this. So the NFL Combine came and went last week, uh, and here's my thing about the Combine. One thing that I, I realized that teams do is a lot of teams just scrub what they saw during the regular season or during the season, during the, the three, four years that a player has played. They scrub that and look solely at, or a lot of them scrub that or, or kind of put that in the back burner and actually look at the combine. And this is what I can say about the combine. To me, the combine really is not an accurate way to determine if a player is going to be good or not. I say that you look at and, and this is nothing against Tua Tagovailoa. This is nothing against anybody that really puts out during the combine, but or combine. But let's look at the Redskins. So going in uh, to the combine, of course you hear Redskins got the number two pick, Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young. Of course we still we had Dwayne Haskins from last year. We have a couple of draft picks uh, that that really panned out last year. And all you've heard about is Chase Young. To me, Chase Young is the most dominant player in the draft. He is the most ready player. Yeah, he might not go number one. Of course, you might have Joe Burrow go number one. You might have somebody else go number one. But right now at two, pretty much Chase Young is your best bet. I think that Chase Young, when we talk about Hall of Fame uh, ceiling, I think Chase Young has that. The problem with the draft combine is teams will talk themselves out of really good players with a player that might have an injury history, with a player that might have shown red flags during the regular season, with a player that might have not really progressed as they thought, but had an incredible combine. Again, this is nothing against Tua Tagovailoa, but now you're hearing the Redskins saying, yo, we might go with Tua, we might uh, trade or reports have come out to say the Redskins might go with Tua instead of Chase and trade Dwayne Haskins. Or they might they might trade down and get a couple more draft picks. If you have something, a sure thing at number two that could be a Hall of Fame type player, why would you talk yourself out of it? Maybe because Chase Young didn't do the draft combine. Chase Young, he didn't really need to do the draft combine. Maybe Joe Burrow didn't do it. Uh, look, players like Isaiah, a homie from Clemson, I totally forgot his name, they showed out. I, and there's nothing against the players that showed out, the players that did great in the combine. I, you know, I respect them, shout out to them, yada yada. But I, I, there's a couple, there's a couple, like, let's look at Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell had one of the greatest draft combines of all time. And we know how that turned out. Ryan Leaf had a good combine. Um, I don't know. Uh, Pondexter, what's his name? Uh, is it Christian Pondexter, I think his name? He had a good combine. You see how that turned out. It's like teams would talk themselves out of sure things because somebody did really good at the combine. And this is no offense to the guy that did Incredible from Ohio, uh, from Clemson. I think his name's Isaiah Humphreys or something like that. I'm sorry if I got it wrong. But again, I'm talking to teams. Teams do not get enamored with somebody's combine and just totally forget about what they did during the season or totally forget about what they did over the years because you're incredible with their 40 time. First of all, <coughs> and, the, and the thing about the 40 time, why, to me, the only people, the only positions that should be running a 40 time that really matter is wide receivers 
cor- uh, D cornerbacks, I guess, cornerbacks slash D linemen and running backs. When is a when is an O lineman going to run full speed untouched down the field? Is that a penalty if a lineman is down the field farther than it's supposed to? When is a quarterback going to run down the field? Well, let me say this: that could happen with a quarterback, but why does that matter? You know what I'm saying? It's like I think maybe the 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 offensive linemen should do cone drills more. Um, maybe they they should do the bench more. It's like I don't there. To me, the combine is flawed. The combine is flawed, and a lot of people put a lot of stock, and that's how teams really miss on potential hits, and that's how teams really reach for players that they really shouldn't have been reaching for. But because they had incredible combine, you know, that's 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 what they did. So, or that's who they picked. So I'm just saying, beware, teams. Like I said, you, you only you, you only can draw somebody once. You know what I mean? So, and sticking with uh. Sticking with um, football, you can talk about Tony Romo. Tony Romo got a new deal from CBS. I think it's like 17 a year. In fact, I know it's 17 a year. I just don't know how many years or don't remember how many years. And there were a couple players, uh, most notably so was Michael Thomas, that came out and was like, you know, how is a broadcaster making more money than the players? I get that. I get, I get, I wouldn't understand. I mean, I'm not putting my life on the line. I'm just talking about sports, and I get more money than you. I, it's, I get it, but I was always under the, you know, I was always raised as don't count somebody else's pockets. You know what I'm saying? I know Michael Thomas is making well more, or making more than he's ever made in his life. I made, I know most of the people in the NFL are making more than they ever made in their life. So, you know, congratulations to Tony Romo. Of course, he deserves it. I think it's crazy that Tony Romo makes more than, <laughs> makes more than uh. Stephen A. Smith. Now, yes, I understand that CBS probably has more money than ESPN, but I wouldn't know. I, I, that's some hard to believe because ESPN's under Disney. I don't know, but that's that's crazy to me. But again, congratulations to Tony Romo for you know um, securing the bag. You know, uh, and. I guess moving forward, there really wasn't much in the NBA to talk about, so I'm not going to talk about the NBA this week. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, people keep asking me who I'm picking in college basketball. Uh, people keep asking me what are my thoughts, who who do I think um, is going to make it out of college basketball, who do I think is, you know, going to win it. And this, to me, is wide open. I mean, you saw last week, or you saw on Saturday, uh, Baylor lost, even though they did come back and win against Texas Tech, even though that was a tough game. Duke lost. Uh, Maryland lost. It's like there's there's no clear-cut... There's no clear-cut top team. I mean, you can say Kansas, but Kansas has struggled. You can say Baylor, but like I said, they just lost. You can say Gonzaga, but they always fly... You know, they're always really good until you hit March. Virginia, like, <laughs> there's no really solid team to go with. And I think that's really good. And I think that that's what's making college basketball a little exciting. Um, I mean, it's no secret that I'm a North Carolina fan. I mean, you can clearly see Jordan on the side. I'm a North Carolina fan, you know, through and through. And, of course, we're having a down year. We're not even going to sniff the tournament, which is crazy to me. <laughs> but... You know, where a lot of people are used to the Blue Bloods, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, uh, Kansas. They're used to the Blue Bloods winning. And the fact that we're pretty much, it's almost, I'm almost sure. I don't know because Kentucky can still win. Duke can still win. Kansas, they're in the number one uh, spot right now. But let me not say I'm not sure. You don't know who's going to win. Anybody can win on any given night. And, and I think that that's, that's the incredible thing that college basketball is in right now. And I'm really excited to see it. I really am. And hey, it's 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 crazy to think that, you know, any any given night, Texas Tech could have beat Baylor the other night, or Wake Forest beat Duke. Um, North Carolina is getting slapped around everywhere. <laughs> uh, Baylor beat Kansas. Uh, Kentucky loses. Like, it's 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 incredible to see. And I think that's that's the beauty of basketball, and that's the beauty that we are. 
Um, that that's the beauty and that's the that's the joy. So when you ask me, I'm gonna hold off until we get a little closer to March Madness. Um, probably until after the conference tournament to really give my back bracket prediction. I might bring somebody on and we can have a discussion about it. But I'm gonna hold off my predictions. But just know that I am definitely watching. I'm excited. I'm excited what March is gonna bring. Um, well, of course, March Madness is gonna bring. And I'm excited for the upsets. This is the this is the first time. It's really hard. I'm, I might have to do more than one bracket. Well, I usually do more than one, but I might have to do more than one serious bracket because I can see someone getting upset anytime. So, and I definitely need to see the rankings and stuff. Uh, and, and even with the women, you know, you have Maryland that's really good, South Carolina that's really good. Uh, of course, Oregon. It's it's it's, it's wide open. You have Sinescu and, and Oregon Ducks that are incredible. You got Charles and Maryland that that are that they pretty much won the Big Ten the other day. Like it's 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 incredible, and I'm excited. You know, I, I love basketball. We all know that. And seeing good basketball just excites me. It, it excites me. <laughs> so, um, and before I go to the interview, this is just a thought. When we, t- a lot of people hate teams. We know that. I hate the Cowboys. It's like, no, I'm joking. I don't, I'm, a, I'm a Redskins fan. I don't hate anybody. But a lot of people, a lot of fans hate rival teams. A lot of people hate the Cowboys. A lot of people hate the Patriots. A lot of people hate the Boston Red Sox. A lot of people hate the Boston Celtics. A lot of people hate the Lakers. Like, people hate teams. You look at individual teams. A lot of people hated, uh, the Golden State Warriors, because they were so good, especially when they had uh, Kevin Durant. A lot of people hated the Lakers, because Kobe and that dynasty and, and Shaq kept it going. A lot of people hated the, the Yankees, because they somehow continued to win year after year after year. Their hate for teams is not new. You know, Hate for teams isn't, isn't, isn't something that is just coming, you know, or is, is new to the, to the playing field. I bring this topic up because, and I'm going to ask you, you guys can uh, comment in the section below, hit me up. I want to know, do you think the Astros is the most hated team ever? And I say that because I think in almost, they've, uh, a batter has been hitting almost, I think about 90% of every game they've been in this preseason. You have fans uh, talk. You have fans coming at him. You have ex or former or you have current players, former players coming at them. You have players from other sports coming at them. You have commentators coming at them. You have people that don't even care about sports coming at the Astros. And it's like people really hate the Astros. And I think this the di- the the difference between this hate and maybe the hate for the Golden State. People hated Golden State because they were so good. People hated Golden State because they knew once. Kevin Durant became or got on that team. It was almost over. It was almost like it's it's is the Golden State Warriors and everybody else. People hated the Miami Heat because it was like Miami Heat, LeBron James, uh, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and then everybody else. When I say everybody else, you know the rest of the league. They hated that form of dominance. They hated that form of greatness. The difference, though, is they hate the Astros because they cheated. And not only did they cheat, they cheated and got away with it. They cheated and their cheating led to success. Their, you know how people say, you know, cheaters never prosper or cheating is never going to get you where in life. That was most definitely not the case for the Astros. The Astros cheated. And in them cheating, they ended up winning the World Series. Now, they had an incredible team, yes, but that cheating most definitely secured them a World Series title. And people found out about this. We all found out. The world found out about this, and they still did not get reprimanded. And they're still considered World Series champions. And because of that, there is a level of hate that they are experiencing right now that I haven't seen almost almost ever. And that's because something that is supposed to be taught to us. We're, we're taught, hey, cheaters never prosper. Don't cheat. Bing, bing, boom, bing, boom. You know, cheaters will never succeed. We're, that is, that thinking 
is starting to be questioned because of the Astros. And because of that, I think they're getting a level of hate that we've never seen. I, looking, looking now, I know a lot of people hate the Bulls with Jordan and them. A lot of people, like I said, Golden State, the Miami Heat, uh, the Red Sox, um, the Yankees, the, the Boston Celtics. Do you guys think, I think they are the, single, the, the most hated single team ever. Because, like I said, their cheating prospered. And we're, we've been taught our whole lives that cheaters never prosper. Cheating is never going to get you nowhere. That was not the case for the Astros. No, I don't think they're the most hated franchise. But I think that team, the team right now, is the most hated team ever. If you agree with me, leave in the comments. Let me know. We'll talk about it. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's just, it's, it's really, it really, day after day I'm seeing reports of the Astros, um, you know, another incident, fans are coming at them, uh, fans are coming at them in waves, they keep getting hit at the plate um, with pitches, they, day after day another player comes out and is against it, it's, 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 this is a level I've never seen, man, and it's crazy, so. Yeah, just just let me know how y'all feel. Um, so without further ado, again, I want to, I'm going to switch over. For people that's watching, um, you're going to see a screen because we've already had the interview. But again, I interviewed Mr. Kira, Ty Kira, I'm sorry, Miss Ty Kira Carter. She does sideline commentary for Howard Basketball, both men and women. She does something for the round ball report. She does stuff for uh, DMV One Sports or DMV Sports One. She does she does a lot, and I think I thought that she was a perfect person to talk to because she gives people that know. Well, I'm a former athlete. Uh, I, I played college basketball, D1, NAIA, and people are seeing me after my playing career. Now, yeah, I still hoop every night at the rec, but I'm not making no money. I'm just hooping for fun. She gives another perspective. She gives a D1 perspective from a woman's side and how life is after playing basketball. Now, of course, she's, you'll see in the interview, but it was, it was good to talk about you know, how to cope with life after sports or how to cope with maybe not reaching a quote-unquote goal of hooping past college. So I talked to her about that and and just just picked her brain and, and, and see, you know, how athletes should prepare for life after. You know, a lot of people say there shouldn't be a plan B. You should always go with plan A because, you know, if you, if you have a plan B, that means you don't trust plan A. Again, I don't, I don't know about that, but without further ado, here is the conversation I have with Miss Tykira Carter. So, I told you guys I was I told you guys I was having guests, and I want to welcome Takira Carter. Uh, she is she does a lot. Uh, first of all, her I listened to her podcast Life After with Takira Carter. She is she's very talented. She's a sideline reporter. She works with Round Ball. Um, I see her at the Wizards game a couple times, and I thought that she would be a fascinating person to talk to. She, like myself, were former basketball players, college basketball players. I went to Borges College in, in a IAD1. She went to Sacred Heart University. And I wanted to welcome Ty Kira to the show because I think she has a unique perspective in anybody that we've talked to. How are you doing today, Ty Kira? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, first and foremost. I truly do appreciate it. No, no problem at all. No problem at all. So, like I said before, um, me and you kind of have a different view on things when it comes to basketball. Due to the fact that we play, um, of course, I played in AIA. You played D1, um, NCAA. How? Just explain to the audience uh, how it is as a college hooper. You know what I mean? Right. So being a Division One athlete will bring you many different emotions, and you'll go through a walk of life that I believe that you'll never forget. For me, my experience was fun, uh, you know, 
being around teammates who I know will be my lifelong sisters and friends because you spend so much time together in the gym, in the locker room, road trips and stuff like that. Seeing the school and basketball life for some people, it may be harder. To me, it came a little easier because I was motivated to do both, and I knew that I could accomplish both. I graduated with my bachelor's degree in communication studies in three years, and in my fourth year, I got my master's of arts degree in communication studies and sports broadcasting, all while under a scholarship at Sacred Heart University. So it just goes to show um, if you put in the work, you can do whatever you want to do. And also at a mid-major college like Sacred Heart University, um, if you set goals, you can pretty much crush them. I know at Division One programs and, you know, the ACC now, I'm sorry, the ACC, Big Ten, and big conferences like that, they may not be afforded the opportunity to do internships during the summer, but what I do is work out in the morning, go to my internship during the day, and then I might get off from my internship around 3 p.m. and have, like, an individual workout around 3.30, and that's the way that I balance it. Some coaches may not let you do so, so that was a blessing to me that my coach was very open and understanding that I was aware that I may or may not have played bass college, but one thing that would follow me is my education. Yeah, I think one thing that you kind of hit the nail right on the head was it's a, it's a relationship. Playing basketball, it is you, you build relationships because you're around these players, you're around your teammates, you're around your coaches pretty much more than anybody in college. And mm-hmm. I see, I, I know that when I played, it was yeah, I didn't have it. Because I was, I was, I was one of those naive ones and thought, "Oh no, I'm playing, so I'm playing until I die. Like I'm, I'm going. I mean, if I'm not going to the NBA, I'm going to uh, overseas. I'm doing this, that, and the third. So I devoted my whole time in college basketball to, well, whole time while playing college basketball to hooping. As in, you know, practice started at five, and it be done at seven. I'll do my individual until nine. Mm-hmm. Then I have class then I'll skip lunch and go straight to another individual and lift. Then I'll have two more classes. Then we'll have a four o'clock practice. Then I'll do another individual. And then I'll, you know, probably around nine o'clock go to the room and, and do homework and stuff like that. So speak on the players that you, well, actually, let me say this. I think that it's very unique. And I think it's really cool when I listen to Life After with Tyker Carter. And you, you pretty much, map out or, or explain how to transition from college basketball to, you know, after you graduate the real world. Did you find it hard for you to, to transition, or do you think that the internship that you had and, college, and a little bit of the experience that you had playing college basketball, do you think that helps you transition to, quote, unquote, the real world after you graduate? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely say, although I'm doing this podcast to help individuals transition it's still a transitioning phase for myself because you miss the aspects of college basketball that it brought you don't think about um while you're in college hooping that one day it'll all be over and you don't think about how it's really at the time it may seem like it's the hardest part of your life but really it gets no easier I believe than playing college basketball, and then if you go on to do it professionally, you know, it's still a job, but it's a job in which you are getting paid for, right? So at this point, um, I think about it as, man, you know, I miss playing college basketball because you have a set routine, because you know what you're going to get out of each day for the most part once you get used to it and you go to a sophomore than a junior, you know, it's it's a cycle, it's a routine. And so that training process, me, myself, although I am, um, doing many things right now. I am not full-time employed. I'm freelancing, so I'm bouncing around from different things and figuring out, okay, what can I do that's going to bring me that consistency back? Will it ever be consistency again, or is it going to be bouncing around 
you know, and wearing different hats, which I don't have a problem with, but it's that's a transition, and it's something that, uh, you know, you have to adjust to when you spent four years of your life focusing on basketball, um, focusing on, you know, your your biggest worry was, are you going to win the game today? <laughs> you know, my biggest worry is, am I going to make that, um, you know, that conditioning test in the summertime? But now your worry is, um you know, how do I apply my degree? How do I network with people? And a lot of people don't take networking seriously in school. And, um, you know, a lot of people will say it. Getting a job and not necessarily an advice, but a career is about who you know. And, you know, how are you going to keep in touch with those people who you met who might be able to help you in your journey to find a career? You have to think about all those things. So what am I doing day by day to kind of, better myself in that aspect and that's where being a college athlete can help you if you do learn how to apply those resources and apply you know the people that you meet into your life after and apply the the grind the hard work after Uh, so if you think about it in the respect that you learn in college how to grind you learn and you meet people daily it's just all about how you're going to use that in your life once the college basketball or whatever sport that you're playing, when those days come to an end. Well, that that wow, that was that was that was pretty good. I think I think what a lot of people let me just speak on the male side. Uh, I think what a lot of male college basketball players forget, and you said it is the networking. I think what it sounds like is you took advantage of everything that you had in front of you. Um, and and at, at this point, you're, it's still a transition, but it, it, you're, you're flourishing in the moment to, to succeed during this transition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think people have, and, and I can speak on my, my situation or people that I play with, they have a hard time accepting the fact that, yeah, you probably ain't going to be playing no more, bro. So you, right. you have to figure out what you're going to do. And I think that what it, what it sounds like you did a really good job in was you balanced playing basketball with, okay, let me prepare for the next step, even if you don't play, or even if you do, you know, you're still prepared. I see a lot of players that don't, that think, all right, basketball and nothing else. Kind of speak on the fact that you, let me let me ask how how would you you kind of spoke onto it but how would you suggest a college player go about you know I guess the future do you think that they should they should mm-hmm. focus solely on okay playing basketball and trying to be the best I can or do you think that they should I guess set up for just in case something happens because you hear people go all right well. I think I need to devote all time because, you know, someone else is working hard for me, you know, kind of the quote-unquote Kobe mentality, you know, no one's going to outwork me. But then it's like, do you then sacrifice, okay, I'm not planning for the future? Do you know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying completely. I think that you have to look about everything with the mindset that there's a means to an end. So someday it'll have to be over. So at what point are you going to start setting up that someday, you know. It's kind of like financial life in a sense. So this is on the same topic, just um, a living area. You don't build your finances in one day, right? You have to accumulate over time. So I believe the same thing about people with playing basketball and moving forward. How do you set up for that point B that you need to get to, whether it's, you know, next week, in the future? It doesn't matter. I think, yes, you can devote all your time to basketball, but in that spare time, what are you doing? Are you thinking about if it doesn't work out? It doesn't have to say that it's not going to work out, but if you don't have your mind set on, okay, this might potentially not go, you know, how I always dreamed and planned, what can I do next? That can be like a real reality thought without you bashing your current dreams, but also, um, being aware and having an idea that, you know, everything doesn't go out as planned. There's some people who 
you know, they put all their eggs in one basket and then boom, a season in the injury, a, a life-threatening, you know, thing happens. For example, um, I might get his name wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. I believe his name was Isaiah Austin. He played at Baylor. Yeah, uh, A few years back, right? And mm-hmm. he was a talent. He was supposed to go to the NBA. He was supposed to be, you know, this lottery pick, whatever. He gets, like, diagnosed with, I believe it was a heart problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all your eggs are in one basket. But sometimes that's not the way God has it planned for you. So that's why I think it's cool to be prepared for different avenues in which you can go. And that's something that, like I said, I don't have it all figured out. I'm figuring it out every day. Like I still am applying to full-time jobs and stuff like that. But in a sense, it's about, you know, what can I do to help me get to that full-time job? How am I staying busy? Um, I mentioned in my podcast that I work a part-time job at a car dealership where I'm a receptionist. But when I'm not working at a part-time job, I'm calling games at Howard. I am on the round bar report um, at different games, like, you know, just trying to stay around and keep my face known, people see me and stuff like that. So I think it's all about your mindset. It's not counting yourself out of playing basketball after college, but it's also being realistic of the possibility if it just doesn't happen that way. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, that 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 I think is the most important thing is is, is planning for everything. Yeah, and I think guys, for the most part, you know, I think it hits them a little harder because when you're a woman, there's not much left with basketball after you graduate unless you're going to the WNBA or overseas, period. And women can understand that those spots are limited. If you're in a mid-major, you know that more than likely, like, you won't make it to the WNBA. And will barriers change for that over the years? Of course. Yes, it will. But you can kind of almost bet you know who is going to be drafted and who's moving on to the WNBA as a woman. Guys, it's a little more open, and we see, uh, like you said, their barriers are already broken with guys going from Division One, Division Two, shoot, Division Three, if you will, and um, playing at the next level. So I can see why their dreams might be, you know, so ball is life type thing. But for women at some point, you know, it's hard to even make a career out of basketball out of college because so I think many more hoops that you have to go through, and the women don't have a G League and stuff like that. Yeah, I, yeah. That was, so speaking on that, and I guess we can kind of talk about the WNBA as well. Do you, what? As you know, the WNBA and the Players Association just came to an agreement um, that was monumental for the WNBA. It it, uh, it pretty much put more money in players' pockets and kind of improve just the, the league as a whole. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you how do you think what what other changes do you think the WNBA needs to make? Actually first, how do you feel about the changes that they are already implementing now? And also what other changes do you think need to be made to make it more welcoming as a as a league, I guess? Well, first of all, um, big shout-out to them because they just made a step in the right direction. And whenever you make a step in the right direction, um, you know, it's a win. They've been going through this collective bargaining agreement for quite some time, and it seems as though in their eyes they they made a right move for the future for uh, players coming up and it benefits the players who have been there working to make these changes. So um, I think one of the great things, of course, is that they will be getting paid more and better benefits. Uh, I think one of the better moves is that they made is for women in the league who become pregnant or, you know, they have a child, they get that leave and they still get paid for it. And uh, I think that's huge, that maternity leave and stuff like that. Uh, in the NBA, do you have those benefits, of course, but I think on a woman who physically has to have the baby, you know, that's a, a big jump and something that needed to be done. If, uh, you know, there's something that they need to continue to work on, I would say is the travel for the players. I know that um, 
this year, I believe they added that WNBA players will be able to travel more comfortably and better. They'll have premium economy seats on flights and the extra comfort, but they're still traveling commercial. So what is the next step to that, having them traveling privately to get to games? So I think that will be something that will – I think they'll be able to push for that in the future where they won't have to worry about um, (laughs) – are we going to make our flight? Is our flight going to be delayed to get to a game? You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, I think. I know. Okay. No, I was. I remember. I, I I remember seeing multiple reports of. I think it happened to the Aces or the the Mystics one time, where or a couple mm-hmm. times, where like yeah. the plane uh, they got maybe it was weather or something, but the plane got delayed during a for a WNBA game. Yeah, and they had to forfeit. Yeah, I'm like, how the hell are you a league and you don't even have the measures to 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 combat something like this? You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I do I do agree with you. I think that's the biggest thing is that I think what 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 we have to try to do, and I say we as fans, we as we as people that consume sports, I think we have to make a, or find a way to make the WNBA feel less like a less like an added addition instead of what it is, which is illegal. I think that people and, and, and maybe maybe the, the NBA, the WNBA, I don't I don't know if they do, but I think that they, they view themselves as a, a branch instead of a whole tree. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that once we start Looking at looking at that as it is, instead of looking at it as maybe like a secondary G League or something, I think that it will be a lot more but present. The thing that you said shouldn't have to be. All right, we need to continue to work on it. No, these should be worked on. These should be done like now. The right. first time a team can't make a game because of weather or because of travel, that's where you're significant above right now, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna have this problem again. The first time a player gets pregnant and like, oh snap well because she's not playing, she's not uh yeah, she's not getting paid. I mean, a player can A B was going crazy in the W and the I mean he was still getting paid until the very end. So I think that we need to, we as whoever we ish, need to start looking at the WNBA as an actual league instead of a branch. You know what I mean? And I think when that happens, change. I do like, you know, the change that happened with the new CBA and or new contracts and everything. But I think that that's just a, a little step into a, a broader run that we need. Do you, do you agree? I do agree with that. And I think everyone looked at this CBA as such a win because it was anticipated. Are there going to be any changes that come? And, yeah, I think it is a a big victory that one day there will be so many more changes that this will just be, look, be looking at a foundation, a small step to what is to come. Um, and so, yes, I do agree that people need to start looking at the WNBA more like they look at the counterparts in the NBA, these women do the same thing. Their season is shorter than the NBA, but, you know, why do our WNBA players have to go overseas? Why can't the NBA and WNBA coexist in the same season? Because they think people won't watch it. And, I, you know, I, I think that's something that's also uh, changed because these women are equally as talented. As the men, sure, we don't see a lot of showboating and dunking and all those things. But these women, they talk trash. You know, they they play their hearts out. They hustle. They're very skilled. I prefer watching skill level of these women over the NBA. And I'm not being biased because I play women's college basketball or I played basketball my whole life. It's you know, it's because it's true. And uh, you think about all the things that women do in their in their life and their careers, and for these women to play, and at some point they were playing for little to nothing compared uh, to the NBA. Now they're still they're still uh, not up there, but it's better. And 
uh, the K is what I'm referring to. So I think things will continue to grow. I like how they um, enhance the mental health benefits and resources because that's been something that has uh, really taken a toll on a lot of people in sports is mental health awareness. So I believe the game will just continue to and sometimes you got to take the small, you got to be a branch to grow into a tree. And so I'm very um, not satisfied in the sense like, yes, change has come and we're, we're going to stay and still and be okay, but satisfied that at least they made some things happen as opposed to nothing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I guess, the silver line. I do like that as well. Um, next question. So you're, are you from the D&D area? I am. Okay. So me, I, I'm from the D&D area as well. And it's, I see the Sacred Heart is in Connecticut, correct? Yeah, Fairfield. Okay. So mm-hmm. I went to a school that is in a small town called Denmark, South Carolina, um, which I'm used to being able to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go to close to 7-Eleven if I want to get something to drink or mm-hmm. if I want to get a bag of chips or something, I can just go to a corner store um and or a liquor store or seven eleven or McDonald's at that and, and go to something to eat at any time of the day and night. I go from that to going to Denmark, South Carolina, where the, the late something closes at ten o'clock. Once wow. once it's 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 uh once ten o'clock hits it's a wrap. Like you are if you starving you stop. So Tell me how Connecticut is different from where you're from, you know, the DMV, and how, and was it a culture shock once you got there? Right. So Connecticut is different from the DMV, but it's not quite like how you're describing South Carolina. (laughs) Uh, We did have a McDonald's. We had a place near our campus uh, that stayed open pretty late on the weekends. It stayed open until 2 a.m. I believe it's called Merit Canteen. You could get burgers, drinks, whatever you wanted. It was kind of like the spot that you go to after a party or whatever. So that was cool. I would more so say um, the difference from the DMV to going to Connecticut was our our campus, it wasn't a city. Like we were um, not a big city near like Washington, D.C. or anything. it was more so like you got your campus, you know, you got Bridgeport, Connecticut, Fairport, Fairfield, Connecticut around you, and that was that. You kind of made friends with people on campus. The majority of athletes who played football and basketball were African American, um, and most of the other people on the campus, uh, you know, were it was predominantly white, and so. For me, that was like when I first got there, it was a bit like, oh, okay. But I knew that I had my teammates and, you know, most sports people hang out with sports people. So, you know, you hang out with the football team and other people who play sports. Now it's kind of like your niche, your group. Over the time, I'll say, as the years went on, Bigger Heart continued to grow. Man, it, it has grown so much. And, like, I can say that as about – uh, alumna, they, my senior year, they got um, a diner on campus. Mm-hmm. So we have a diner that they open to, I believe, 3 a.m. on the weekend. They got a new sports facility, which opened up this year, so I missed out on that. But the sports facility has a Robex juice and smoothie place in it. It has a bowling alley. It has a whole cycling room. It has um, extra, like, auxiliary gym. It has a rock climbing wall. And I'm like, wow. When I got there, um, the hottest thing that had opened up was we got a new sports and, I mean, not, I'm sorry, not sports, communications and business media building with, like, green screen rooms and editing labs and all this stuff. So I think Sacred Heart University is really, like, a hidden gym in New England, like it really is. It's a beautiful university, continues to grow. They invest in it. New dorms are opening up like every year. Uh, They're branching off the campus, so now we have like part of our campus is down the street. 
man, it was like seeing the growth in a short amount of time. It's becoming such a beautiful university. They're getting a hockey arena. Oh, wait. Yeah. So um, as far as the university, when I first got there to now, the changes are crazy. The diversity is better and increasing. Uh, so, yes, it was a culture shock at first. I was like, wow, what is this in the middle of nowhere? Once you get used to where you are and what you're around, we had a mall five minutes away, so that was nice. And the mall had decent stores like you know, uh, Janelle, Sun, Forever 21, Foot Locker, all that stuff. So it was good enough. So one thing that I can't relate to is I went to an HBC. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of tell, kind of, I guess enlighten me. I, I can't, uh, you can't really tell the difference between the HBCU and the PWI, but tell me how that experience was at first going to, uh, you know, a, a PWI. I don't know what it's called, right? <laughs> Going to a yeah, predominantly PWI. Just tell me about that experience, especially when you first getting there. So, like I said, I can't personally relate to a HBCU. Only way that I relate to it is when I go to Howard and I call the games and you walk on campus and it's like electric filled, like melanin, beautiful black students, workers, and all that. I said to her, um, you know, you'll get the mixture, but. Um, most of the professors that I have had, uh, they were white, I believe. I don't recall, and I'm I'm thinking about it, I don't recall having an African-American professor really at any point in my time at Baker Heart University. So, um, you know, the learning experience may or may not be different. I don't know how that compares to an HBCU really or that enhances or changes your learning experience. Um, the class sizes at Sacred Heart were infinite, so they were pretty small. I don't know if that is the case at HBCUs or not. Um, I feel as though HBCUs at games and stuff really take pride in, you know, showing up and showing out with the dancers and the band and stuff like that. And when I go to Howard, that's something that I really enjoyed and, like, I would have missed. So sometimes when I go to Howard and I call the games, I'm like, dang, you know, if only I could have been a student at at HBU for a little while. Uh, You know, I love competition to play a sphere for watching, you know, whether it's um, the women's or the men's team playing, I was like African-American, Hoopers going head-to-head, giving it all they got. So I really enjoy the, the atmosphere and just the environment at HBCUs. So what I will say is I don't knock um, PWIs at all. I honestly think at the end of the day it's all about the education and how the style fits for you as an individual. Yeah, I agree too. Um, and lastly, again, I do appreciate your time, you do have Tekira Carter on the podcast. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is, of course, Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, recently his, his, his unfortunate passing, him, his daughter, and the seven other people, the memorial, uh, that recently just came. It's to tell me, if any, how Kobe affected you or his passing affected you in any way. I was shocked. Honestly, um, when I heard about the news, I cried instantly because it was just like, dang, like, that's Kobe. That is Mamba. That's Bean. That's a player who has impacted so many Hoopers in different ways. Like, you don't even have to personally meet him to be impacted by the way he played the game of basketball. So I was just sad and in awe because that was my favorite player growing up. I grew up as a Lakers fan because of my father and he really molded me. My dad is actually funny when I was younger and I used to hoop in high school. My dad told people like, man, I don't know. My daughter, she she don't she ain't never seen a shot she don't like. Like she got that Kobe in her and she got that she got that mamba and like he would tell people that. And I thought it was funny. And like um I remember my sophomore year in high school, maybe it was my freshman year, I had bought these pink Kobe's off the flight club, and I used to hoop in them. Like, I was only supposed to wear them in the pink game, but I just started wearing them, like, almost every game. So 
he was one of those players, like, I, I truly think his work ethic and his mindset and his drive to be all that he could be on the court was one of a kind. But then you could see how he was transitioning to his life after basketball. And all he wanted to do was give back to the game of basketball, give back to his daughter who, man, Gigi passed no way too. That really affected me because she was uh, the future of women's hoops. Uh, she was another, you know, a mama sleeper. So it's just, uh, it's just really sad to think about how kids who come up in the next generation, or you know, even now, they they will know about Kobe through the highlights and through talk, but they won't be able to see him around as like an OG, an older guy, and understand what he really meant to the game of basketball as a whole and what was about to transpire after basketball, I think would have been equally as exciting. This guy, you know, wanted to be in film. Although um, coaching his daughter and other players, mentoring, uh, seeing how other people develop his game, his fadeaway, such as, you know, the Jason Tatums in the world, players like Diana Taurasi, who refers to herself and is referred by others to White Mamba, uh, it's impactful. And it's just sad that he had to go so soon. But I definitely believe his legacy and how iconic he was, it'll live on forever. And I think what he had to benefit. Well, I think I, I feel the same way. Um, it, it affected me differently than any any other quote-unquote celebrity passing. Because mm-hmm. I, I said this in a video, like, I never really understood how people could mourn for, like, people they didn't know. Like when Michael Jackson passed, or when Prince passed, and people—I know my, my mother was 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 a wreck when Prince passed. I'm like, no, oh, you never met the guy, you know what I mean? And I never understood it until Kobe passed, you know. And I, I shed a couple of tears. I ain't gonna hold you, um, especially with the memorial when I watched it. I shed a couple of tears watching Vanessa Bryant, and it really hurt when I heard Gigi on the plane. Yeah, and I think. The reason why it hurt me as much is because you kind of watched him grow up, you know. Right. I, I didn't have the luxury of really watching Michael Jordan through his golden era. Um, it was all on YouTube clips, and I was born what '94. '94, so he was still on the Bulls, but you know, you really don't know until maybe maybe five, six, three. Like, you don't you don't know what's going on. So. I grew up watching Kobe. I grew up watching the, I think it was five, six game span when he dropped 50. Uh, I, I saw the championships. I saw the, the life after. I saw the um, Oscar. And I think it just, that, that really affected me. Like, yo, he was, he was 40, he was young. He was only, what, 16 years older than me. Like, he really put it into perspective. And yeah. it, was, it, was, it, was, it was tough for me, and I know it's tough for the world. The world lost a great person. Um, and I, I definitely agree with what you, you know, just sentiment about the whole situation. I was, I was excited to see what was next for him. I was excited to see what was next for Gigi because, as you know, he and his daughter were really big advocates for the WNBA. Um, she was she was uh, a phenom herself. Uh, she wanted to go to Connecticut, of course, and. Uh, you know, it's just, it's sad. It was it was devastating when I heard about it. So. But, you know, that's Kobe. And, you know, Kobe, Kobe wouldn't have no other way. You know what I mean? So, um, RP to the Mamba. <laughs> and Gigi and all, every other person, all the seven people, seven other people that were on the plane. So. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, where can, of course, you know, the Life After podcast, which everybody go check out. That's on what Spotify, Listen Now. I think it's mm-hmm. on uh, I, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which is different for some reason. But mm-hmm. what, what's next for Miss Miss Carter? Sure. You know, I'm continuing to work and build, you know what I'm saying? I was, before you called me, I was applying to some guys, you know, but then uh, it's I want to go down the news route, so I've been looking into some sports reporting jobs at news stations, uh, trying to, if they were up to me, just sticking with 
college athletics and calling games, uh, whether as a sideline reporter or like a host for college basketball, that would be the icing on the cake for me. And that would be something that would really I would really enjoy as an individual. But for now, just grinding, continuing to be on the round ball report. So if any of you guys are in PV County, uh, in Fairfax, Virginia, get the channel for the round ball report. So you look at that. Um, my podcast, like you said, can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well, Life After with Tykira Carter. And just continuing to do me by all means. If you see me somewhere, you know, at a Wizards game or something like that, I'll be putting in some type of work. <laughs> all right, great. Well, again, we want to thank you, uh, Tykira. This is a fantastic interview. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm expecting to see you on on the sideline and next game I go to. So I do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Yep, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, and great job on the podcast and your continued work as well. I appreciate it. And there you have it, man. I want to thank you guys. Uh, learning, well, Maria Sharapova, she retired. I mean, to me, her legacy is getting mollywopped match after match by Serena Williams, but. Hey, shouts out to you, Maria. So there you have it. I want to appreciate you guys for listening. Appreciate you guys for, for being here. Appreciate you guys for your time. I want to thank Takira Carter again for having a, for, for coming on the podcast, uh, taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to me. I appreciate it. I love you guys. I, and, and I'm just I'm excited, you know. Uh, this is, what, episode 85, I think? So, hey, shouts out. And uh, until next time. Much love. I do it for the halves and the half nuts. All he had was a half and a glass pot. Got a race to he the first one with the last rock. Every day you see his face is like a mascot. Trapping out the Honda, no, he never had a stash box. Stuck the arm violence. That was at the last spot Ever since a kid he seen coke all around him Born a hustle, that's his only hope all around him Went to school styling, middle school's wildin' He ain't kept for school cause he knew his true talent How he gon' survive in a world full of savages Born to get some money but a kill, got a balance He can't fold under pressure, uh-uh, life full of challenges He know how to move, he a fool with analysis Seen dudes in a pool of his fluid leaking out of him He breathing but his body cannot move like paralysis Really seen catastrophes, I be rapping average shit Homie had some tragedies, probably why he act like this But back to the shit at hand, rap till you get advanced Holmes got a different plan with 550 grams Strapped with it in his hand, trapped just a ceiling fan Finger on the trigger, take a tap just to kill a man Push him to the limit, watch him snap just like any man Steady popping Percocet, he blacked off the milligrams You don't live how you live, you don't feel a man Ain't no little bitty pill, just gon' heal a man he can't chill, he need a pill, guess he too militant, uh. Oh, you just like us, they robbed you of your innocence, huh? Real menaces, we grew up like dentists, huh? Play with pistols, we ain't had no Sega Genesis, uh-uh. No curriculum, can't punctuate our sentences or none. Niggas supposed to been on prime doing sentences, that's fucked up. Better get your bucks up, remember I was fucked up. Daddy said I lucked up, but it wasn't no luck for us. Nobody had none for us. I was with some real niggas, but it wasn't enough of us. Held the whole hood down, niggas had to toughen up. He gangster, but can't ride with my crowd, he ain't rough enough. I'm humble, but my city in the head like in the uppercut. Don't talk about no millions or none, cause you ain't touching up. My head race, I'm riding alone, just my mind in this chrome. Used to live in all apartments, now I'm riding to a home. And I spent like 1.5 on my diamonds alone. Only count on who gon' still be by my side if it's gone. Just a handful. You can't never have no win if your mans lose Exploitation off your mans, that's a fan move FNN, how that man doing dance moves Keep your friends cool, don't be no damn fool Gotta stay ruthless in the streets cause ain't no damn rules Just stand free, gain half a million to them damn Jews Now why the club just let us in with all these damn tools And all these bamboos, sticks We ain't worried about no ops, yeah they can suck a dick I just stayed an extra 30 minutes taking pics Trigger happy, we been buying licks since Jits G-Money always been the one that had a sixth sense We ain't never get pissed, no coincidence We was supposed to get rich, cause we was meant for this Now all we know arithmetic, but everybody with the shits I hope it ain't no incidents, cause everybody is the whips 
And we a trip, rip, clips, flip, shit, dip, split, switch, whips with new tits like ain't shit happen. It ain't no niggas in this shit doing shit like this. Click, ain't no more room for you pussy boys. Quit rapping. PTSD.